0: Amen. This morning we are, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just grateful for being together and for serving a God who is so faithful, who is not changing, amen, um, who is constant. And I'm just, I'm so encouraged by that. Uh, I can keep going because of that. Um, I don't lose heart because of that. Amen. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, in the Garden of Eden, there was a man and woman. A man and a woman, not anything in between or anything else. As a man and a woman, that God created. And at the end of creation, and He created them to be in relationship with them. Right? He had a great, great purpose and a great plan, and, and he wanted that relationship with them. And something happened that happens so often today in our world. You know, uh, before I get to that, it, there's so much change happening. We, we've, we've talked about this. We hear about it. We have it in conversations. I mean, for some of you, I'll say us, but you, just the bodily changes are like exponential from like three, four, five years ago, right? I can attest to some of that. We change, no 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 we change right our 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 intellectual and mental capacities they change they generally shrink over time if you didn't know that they they do that's it's not made up you can maintain that but they they that's what happens right just like our muscles and everything else and our, our memories change our world changes Look at look at how they're gonna put a rotary in down there. What is up with that? That's a change, you know? Like and then they're gonna change back to a rotary again down at 138 and route two? Oh my goodness. They're, they're, my point is there are changes that are constantly happening, right? And the changes that are occurring are so fast. And we've heard this over and over again. I remember, um, you know, when I was learning computer, right? Like, I was in, like, in sixth grade, and I was in the library at Parma Park Elementary School. And we had the the, the Radio Shack T-80s. The little screen was black and white or whatever color that was. And you're typing away, and the thing had the processing capacity of, like, it was nothing compared to what we have now. The changes are incredible in what's happening all around us. Changes in our world, changes in, 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 in the climate. I mean, frankly, because Jesus is coming, right? And creation is groaning. I've mentioned that before. He's coming. And there are changes all around us that are happening. And there's something else that's changing. And it's this, this thought, this idea of what is truth constantly changing that's been under attack from the beginning from soon as adam and eve thousands of years ago were created and put on this earth to have relationship with god and to do everything that he asked them for his glory and obedience there was something that the truth was challenged it was it was encouraged that the truth would be changed but here's the thing and i'll say it again later in a sermon at least once but truth doesn't change not by definition. It does not change. And there is so much change going on with this that it has infiltrated not only our, our world, our government, even science and even the facts that are presented before people and the evidence of that is being displayed all the time. I won't get into that, but it's, well, I can, but I won't. I'll keep my mouth shut. Um, but it's changing nonstop. And listen, Satan convinced adam and eve that they were something they were not more specifically that they were someone they were not you know what he convinced them of that they were god or they could at least be like god let's put it that way and they disobeyed god as a result of that and the consequences have affected every single human being Now, let me tell you, that is something that has not changed. We are still uh, dealing with repercussions and the consequences of the decision that Adam and Eve made. And we're dealing with that and we still struggle with that. That we want to take truth and distort it and make it something it's not. Truth is reality and it's based on who God is and what God has established. And it will forever be what it is and it will not change. Because God does not change. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, the distortion of truth is a fabrication that results from a deep, deep human desire, if I could put it, to have it our way. That's what it comes from. We want something so bad. We want things to be easier. We want it to be in a way that we deem that is right or appropriate or most beneficial for ourselves or for humanity or for even the universe. Paul writes to Timothy in his second epistle in chapter 4 and verse 3. He says this. He said, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Hmm, Distorting the truth taking what is and God has established and it's been good and it is good and it will always be good and saying, well, it's not really that good or we can make it better or, you know, that's a little off, I think, God. We should alter that. Psalm 119 and verse 160. Yes, verse 160. Isn't that crazy? But it's 160. states, The very essence of your word is truth. doesn't change it's there it's foundational it's there it doesn't change with the times the culture with your feelings whatever it is it doesn't change and he says all your just regulations will stand forever it doesn't change there's no variation and again by definition truth does not change listen this morning when we talk about God's word and the faithfulness of God and how he's faithful and his promises are yes and amen, and he means what he says. I want to share with you three truths based on one verse in the book of Hebrews and chapter 13 and verse 8. Some of you already know what it is. Hebrews 13, 8. Paul, I say Paul, I'm getting ahead. Nope, I don't know that for sure. The writer to Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so He doesn't change. He is who He is. Listen, we've all heard the expression, right? You've heard this. Like father, like son. Right? Very often. And, and, and it comes to bear out and be that way, meaning that the character or behavior of a son will resemble his father's. I know, not always, but so often, Yes? Right, Very often. But when it comes to Jesus and God the Father, the expression, like Father, like Son, falls short. Do you know why it falls short? Because Jesus is not like God. Jesus is the same as God. Jesus is God. Not like. He is the same. He is God. The first truth I share this morning because of all the unchanging truth is this, that we have to hold on to. And it is the sameness of Jesus Christ is the sameness of God. In other words, I'll say it again. Jesus is God. Hallelujah. Jesus is God. That's as orthodox as it gets. That's as truthful as it gets. That's as fixed as it gets that Jesus is God. At the start of his writing in chapter 1, the writing of Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, and he says that he is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Unchanging, he is God. Jesus Christ is the same. What a name. Think about that name. Jesus, we say Jesus Christ that's why for me, I got to be honest. I know for a lot of you. Man, when I'm around people or I hear things and they say they say JC and they just say it as a I get there's something inside me. It does, it I cannot stand it. Do you feel that way? I mean, is it just me? I cannot take it when people do that. And they get frustrated or something doesn't go their way or and they're like I can't. I can't even say it because I can't. It's it's offensive. It's I I cannot stand it. it. It's a horrible thing because this is such a beautiful thing and it's a powerful thing. Jesus speaks to his manhood, and Christ speaks to his deity or his godhood. Jesus actually came. God came, and Jesus came as a human being on this earth. And he was perfectly human. I mean, he was completely like you and me in every single way the book of Hebrews tells us. From what he experienced to what he saw to what he smelled to what he felt. It was all just like us. He He was a human being on this earth. Even though the Bible never... And he was God. Right? He was God. He had all the characteristics, all the nature, the attributes of God, and those things do not change. In fact, one of the attributes of God is that He is immutable. He cannot change. By the way, do you want to serve a God who changes? I would never know who I'm serving. I would never know what to believe. I would never know who, what orders to follow. It, it, I can always question this because it just might change. God's changing His mind and His thought. It's No. And his nature and his character and his treatment of me. It might look different at different portions of my life, but his intention is always to make me more like Christ, whether it's painful or joyful. Even though the Bible never records Jesus saying the precise words, I am God, never says that. That does not mean that he did not proclaim that he is God. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, John records Jesus saying this I and the Father are one. We need only to look, when you think about it, to the Jews' reaction to his statement to know that he was claiming to be God. He was saying he was God. They tried to stone him for that reason. And they said, you, you're a mere man, you're Jesus, and you claim to be God, Christ, the anointed one, deity, sent from God, who's doing these things because he's one with God. The Jews understood exactly what he was claiming to be, deity, God. When Jesus declared, I and the Father are one, he was saying that he and the Father are one nature and essence. Jesus was God in the past. He's God in the present. And He will always be God in the future for all of eternity. Always. He never had a beginning. And He even said in John chapter 8, verse 58, Before Abraham was, I am. Not was. I am. And that's an expression that says that I am equal to and I am the self-existent, self-sufficient God of all eternity. I was always there. I don't need anybody. I always existed. And here I am in the flesh. That's what Jesus said. After Jesus' resurrection, Thomas the disciple called Jesus and listened to what he says in John chapter 20 and verse 28. He said, My Lord and my God... Jesus was his Lord and his God. He was Jesus Christ in the flesh, but he was, and at that point, in a glorified version of some sort, he came back in the flesh, but he was there again, present. And when when Thomas is doubting this, and he realizes and he says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Oh, no, no, don't don't call me God. He He never said that. Titus, Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2 and verse 13. He encourages us, Titus, encourage, I'm sorry, Titus encourages us to wait for the coming of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can find that expression in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter writes the same thing about Jesus. He's our God and our Savior. In Revelation, an angel instructed the apostle John to only worship God in Revelation 19.10. And several times in Scripture, Jesus receives worship in Matthew and Mark and Luke. He never rebukes people for worshiping him, ever. If Jesus were not God, he would have told people to not worship him. Just as the angel in Revelation did. See, Jesus Christ is God, and that means that He is also the same in the sense that He does not change. He's immutable, as I mentioned. Malachi 3.6, the prophet records God's words, and God says, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. He is immutable. His power, His authority, His knowledge, His wisdom, His nature, and all attributes, attributes do not change good news, isn't it? That's good news. It's comforting news. It's encouraging news because Jesus is reliable, he's steady, he's trustworthy, and he's faithful. He is the standard by which everything is measured. And boy, do we need that in a world of changing standards, don't we? Emotionally charged rationality is all about us. Subjective false realities. I, I wrote this down there. Flooding our governments and leaders. Even in the financial world. We're making things up at the printing press, at the treasury. Come on. It's not real. We even joke about that. It's not even real money. I'm being honest. Come on. We all know it. And that's how we're living. So deceived. False. False furthest thing from the truth. We're in big trouble. Nobody wants to say anything and do anything about it. It's all good. Our families. Same thing. These things are changing and the standard changes of what a family is supposed to look like and how it operates and, and the roles and responsibilities. And there's room and I understand. But listen, God created male and female to be a husband and wife in marriage and that's what defines marriage. And that's it, that's it. But no, let's, let's make it an offset. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever as the only and one true God. Period. That is a truth you can count on. And naturally, because Jesus is God who is unchanging, the second truth I have to leave with you this morning is that Jesus' position on sin has not changed. Hasn't changed. Doesn't change with the times, the culture, or how I feel. And that makes Jesus intolerant. And intolerant. He's kind, but he's intolerant. That's right. Jesus is intolerant of sin because God is intolerant of sin and Jesus is God. On the other hand, so many, even in the church today, even in our world, even all around us, they have taken a tolerant position of sin or on sin. And this does not reflect the nature of Christ. I just want you to know. Who lives in us by faith now, right? Friends, brothers and sisters, listen. That does not make me a hater, or a bigoted person, or insensitive. It makes me a disciple of Jesus Christ. It makes me a Christian. Jesus did not tolerate sin. Tolerance, in one sense, if you think about it, implies the compromise of one's conviction, right? It's in a broader sense it's we're also we're looking at the we're we're accepting and we're okay with the changing standard of somebody else's convictions even if it's not approved by God. And we're like okay with it. We got to be careful of that. You know what happens? The result is that there is over intolerance in moral issues that have made us soft and devoid of conviction. Are you listening? Made us soft and devoid of conviction. I believe personally, and hear me and hear I don't care. Hear me well. I believe and along with God's disapproval, we have become tolerant about divorce. We have become tolerant about the use of alcohol. Pastor Bob, you're a legalist. No, I'm not. Too far for some of you. Too far. It's too far for some of you. And it's sinful. Stop it. God doesn't tolerate it. I'm telling you, don't play with God. He's unchanging and he doesn't tolerate sin. Knock it off. Put the bottle down. Put the bottle down. I don't know who you are. I don't. But I know that you're here. Knock it off. Put it down. It's not for you. It's not for a disciple of Christ to be taken over and controlled by that because if you are mastered by that, you are its slave. That's sinful. We have become tolerant about delinquency. Can I give you a practical one? I don't, you can. It's fine. I'm going to charge my credit card up, but I don't intend to pay it. You're sinning. Because when you had that credit card, you made a commitment that you would pay it off. You knew there's a penalty if you didn't. Same thing with your mortgage. I know life brings situations and things. I understand that. We help each other. But listen to me if you have the attitude and the outlook on life that delinquency is okay as a child of God, you're wrong. You're wrong. Do something about it. Get help. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom to navigate whatever circumstances you're going through. No, I'm not here to squash you. I'm just telling you, we can't be tolerant of this stuff. It's a bad witness and testimony. And it's not consistent with the nature of Christ and His intolerance for sin. We have become tolerant about wickedness in high places. And we let it go, and we're okay with it. We've become tolerant about immorality, I'll just, that's a broad term. And I could start listing a million things and whatever. I'm going to leave it there. But we're too tolerant. We have become tolerant about crime. Maybe not you personally, but in general, we have become tolerant about that. It's okay. It's not close to me. They live over there. It's going to come to you because sin spreads. And we have become tolerant about godlessness in general we have become even more and scarily tolerant of unbelief. Listen, everything changes, right? Everything changes. Even language changes. You know that. The word homophobe which means fear of homosexuality was not a popular word 30, 35 years ago at all. And now it has entered into the mainstream of our culture, and it's even beyond homophobe, right? Some have found a way to silence those who oppose homosexuality on moral grounds by using this word to insinuate bigotry. There is another word that means one who has a fear of Christ or Christians. You know what that word is? It is Christophobe. Do you ever hear anyone using that word? Why not? Why not? The world is full of Christophobes, but you never hear about Christophobia. You don't hear it. You hear everything else. And it's used as a tool, as a weapon to distort the truth. And we know when there's distortion of truth, the same Satan that was in the garden is working through terminology. And it's used to fashion our feelings, which ultimately affect our philosophies and our values, and those are all connected. And then policy changes begin to take place. And all of a sudden, the whole world is... Well, it's indicative of the fact that it has changed and yet it hasn't changed because it's... Well, actually it has. It's getting more godless, more wicked, if that can even be possible, but it is. There are other words as well, like holy, righteous, pious, God-fearing, that are never used in a positive way outside of church. And there are words like wicked, blasphemous, and heresy that are hardly used anymore to describe the moral rot that surrounds us. We only use it when it's convenient for us, right? When, 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 when it works for us, and we can gain something for that in some weird way. I don't even know. Like, no. No wonder there is so much confusion and fear in our world. Truth has been replaced with politically correct language. And I almost know, and I'm saying this because I know that it's almost an archaic term anymore, politically correct, but it hasn't gone away. It's always been there. It's taken on different forms and different words. And by the way, politically correct language is, frankly, tyranny of speech. Look, I'm not here on some soapbox to be political and whatever. We're talking about being Christ followers, we're talking about Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're talking about the Jesus who is God. And because He's unchanging and He's the standard bearer and giver and He is the one who is the standard. And now we have this thing that He is the one who is intolerant of sin. Let us not become tolerant of sin or any form of it. God, help us. We get nervous about saying certain things because... Our culture has said this is what is acceptable to say and then we obey our culture before we obey the Lord. We bow down before Him. We all need to resolve. I'm talking to me, each one of us. We all need to resolve as God's people to regularly in our hearts commit and decide who we want to please. Like every day. How about like every minute? who we want to please, who we want to obey, and who we want to follow. Is it Jesus? Who is God? Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Who doesn't tolerate sin? Elijah does an account. I won't give you the background because of time. But in 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah the prophet went before God's people and he said, and they were, they, were, they were not following God the right way. I'll just put it that way. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And here's the answer, like it is for too many people today. They said nothing, the Bible records. All the people, all the people said nothing. It was a vote for Baal. It was a vote for Baal. Or at bare minimum, to do things my way, if not Baal's way, which they're connected. No one said, I will follow God, and no one said, I will follow Baal. Once we come to a decision, my friends, brothers and sisters, we cannot be silent or ashamed to admit who we have decided to believe in. Can't be ashamed of that. By the way, that's the great thing. That's the power of of baptism. That's why it's my favorite service of the whole year. And I'm so grateful for those that were baptized a couple weeks ago. Again, I'm I'm saying it again because I love it. See, one of the biggest myths that many Christians believe is that that this world is our friend. Though we love those in the world as God does. And by the way, what that means is is that we speak the truth. We, We tell it the way it is, right? And the whole... They are not our friend. First John 5:19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Look, John is saying that the whole unbelieving world is trusting or under the influence of Satan. And in order to appease God in the world, some will try to be tolerant. I'm not suggesting you don't have friends. When I mean friends, I mean that loosely. When we, when we talk about, in the, old, in, the, in the scriptures, when we talk about friendship, we're talking about a connection that's deeper just an acquaintance or an everyday thing with your neighbor or your co-workers or friend and you're very amenable and you get along and you talk about life issues. And yes, you can even work things out intellectually, even philosophically, even religiously and, and biblically. You can talk about those things. But if they don't belong to Jesus, they're not, they're not in the same plane. I hate to say it that way. They're serving a different master. And their motivation, their desire, their ambitions will be completely different than yours are because they have a tolerance for sin and you don't. And you will have to draw the line in the sand. Look, instead of saying with the apostle, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to bring salvation to those who believe. We say... I'm tolerant, I'm accepting, I'm kind. Nobody's saying you shouldn't be kind or compassionate. We're not saying that. But here's what Jesus calls it, if we're not careful. He calls it lukewarm, and he despises it. The world, a man named Sean Miller said, the world changes words and changes the meaning of words, but the word of God never changes. God means what He says, and He says what He means about sin. Sin is sin. All men have sinned. Human devices cannot remove sin. God hates sin because it separates humans from God, His creation. However, here's the third truth. Take to heart this third truth this morning. God's position on salvation has not changed. It's still the same has not changed. He doesn't vacillate back and forth. Yeah, Jesus was good for that era. He's not good for now. What he did on the cross was good for then, but not now. No, it's the same thing. His position on salvation has not changed. He has the same approach to inclusivity in his kingdom. And it comes down to one word. Exclusivity. Yes. Exclusivity. God has always had his way. He had the way to relationship and fellowship with himself. Whether it was through the priests and the prophets and sacrificial system and the law, and then now through Jesus, he still had a plan of redemption and salvation for his people. And that all led to Jesus. It was always exclusively about Jesus. From the Garden of Eden, all the way to our little village of Carolina in Rhode Island, well, I live in Carolina, and the church is in Carolina. You might be in Wyoming, like a quarter of a mile down here, or whatever, right? But, but in, to all the way to Carolina, that's all confusing to me, by the way. Um, sometimes I feel like that changes, too. Who knows? No, actually, it can't. We're in New England. Nothing changes as far as those boundaries, right? Hallelujah. Look, from the Garden of Eden to, to Rhode down here, God is still exclusively inclusive, He really is. And this is the hard part for a pluralistic world to hear and accept. Where there are many ways and means to God and it all works out. Jesus says, and He still says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Right? I mean, that hasn't changed. And He says, no man comes to the Father Except through me or by me. No man can do that, only Jesus. But this exclusive means to salvation and the forgiveness of sins is the same plan that God had yesterday and has today, and He will until the end of time to redeem sinful people. Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a false gospel today, and it's called the gospel of inclusion. There are many other false gospels, but the gospel of inclusion. It is simply the old heresy of universalism repackaged and given a new name. Universalism is the belief that all people will eventually be saved and go to heaven. Every last one of us. That's what they say. The gospel of inclusion, as taught by Carlton Pearson and others, and there are many others, encompass several false beliefs. Here they are. The gospel of inclusion says that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ paid the price for all of humanity to enjoy eternal life in heaven without any need for repentance. Secondly, the gospel of inclusion teaches that salvation is unconditional and does not even require faith in Jesus Christ as the payment for mankind's sins of mankind's sin debt. Thirdly, the gospel of inclusion believes that all humanity is destined to life in heaven whether or not they realize it. Oh, Anyway. Fourthly, the gospel of inclusion declares all humanity will go to heaven regardless of religion. And lastly, the gospel of inclusion holds that only those who intentionally and consciously reject the grace of God after having tasted the fruit of His grace Will spend eternity separated from God. You gotta explain that to me too, because that, that's all like, it's a mess, is what it is. And it's inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture. The gospel of inclusion runs counter to the clear teachings of Jesus and the Bible. Jesus Christ came to save. Jesus Christ came to save. Period. That's what he came for. Mankind has been in a mess from the beginning. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and never sins. In Ecclesiastes 7.20. That's not even Romans 3.23 that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Ecclesiastes. And here he writes, there's no one who will never sin and not do everything perfectly. I'm paraphrasing. There's no one that can do that, he's writing. And those little bits, think about history, those little bits of glory, if you think about when you read about Roman, the Roman Empire and the, the, the Chinese uh, uh, um, uh, dynasties, the Egyptian uh, rulers, the Aztec or Greek dynasties, those are like, if you even want to add, like Socrates and Confucius and Descartes and all these philosophers, and they kind of had like, I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm saying this loosely, They had this light, right? They had these flashes of light that came into humanity. They're snuffed out, and they didn't last, and they don't last forever. As great as those ancient dynasties and as bright as those men of wisdom have been in the past, they are altogether helpless, completely helpless to shine any kind of ray of hope as to the future of mankind or your individual soul for eternity. You can't do it. Look, after all the thousands of years of history that we have to draw upon, and we have lots of it, right? It is painfully clear that mankind is in a messy dilemma. The choice is between continuing to trust good people, which we might even deem ourselves to be, or to trust the one who the Bible says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's like Corinthians 5.21. It's the choice. Jesus Christ is the same today. He still fixes hearts that aren't ticking in sync with Him by making them new. It's called being born again. Again. It's called trusting in Him and the Holy Spirit comes and you believe His Word, that you believe that He is unchanging, that He has no tolerance for sin, and that sin has to be dealt with and you can't do anything about it. And then you humble yourself and you accept that and you change your ways and you say, Jesus, I need you and I believe you. Be my Lord and Savior. Paul states this very simply, right? He says in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. And he's addressing the resurrection in that chapter. But listen, it would not be enough that Jesus is the same yesterday and today if somewhere down the road he ceased to be Jesus. That's why we have this hope because he rose again and he's alive. This would make, think about it, if we didn't have, if we had just hope just for today and not the future, it would make Jesus just another great person. That's it. But because he is alive forever and he's unchanging, he makes tomorrow and forever relevant. Right? It's relevant. Very relevant. Listen, in closing, the context, I'm not going to leave you hanging because you have to know the context. I don't, I'm not going to avoid it. But the context before and after verse 8 in chapter 13 of Hebrews is summarized beautifully. By John Piper. And this is what he said The love of money and the rejection of sound doctrine. Because beforehand, before this verse, he's talking about greed and money. And after this verse, he's talking about sound doctrine. It's plain and simple. He says these will be two great deadly forces against the church in the coming years. And what a gift it is that the Bible so clearly warns us. And not just warns us, but helps us. And not just by giving negative threats, but by giving precious and very great promises. The solution to both greed and heresy is this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What once was true about Christ always will be true about Christ. So you don't need or want new doctrine because you have Jesus. And what was once satisfying about Christ will always be satisfying about Christ. So you don't need or want money as the way to lasting happiness. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same truth and the same treasure. That's who Jesus is. That's the truth. It'll never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. He is intolerant of sin. And He is compassionately and yet exclusively the only way to salvation, which is the forgiveness of your sins so that God might spare you from condemnation and the wrath that is due to those who don't know Him. It can be hard to hear, but yet it's not. Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, you hang on this. You walk in this. You stand on it so firmly that Jesus Christ is the same. He is the same as God. He is God. And because He's God, He doesn't play around with sin. But the way He deals with sin is still one way, and it's Jesus, His Son. Will we share that? Will we hang on to that? I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in this, these three points, these three, these three truths I shared. I don't know if you're here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus is God. And maybe now, maybe there's something going on. And I'm just, I, it's not me. It's not me. But, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's God, right? His presence. And maybe there's something in your heart and your mind, and something's going on, you realize, man, our world is a mess. My life is a mess. It's because of sin. God created me to be like Him. And then I'm, I'm thinking I'm great, and I do my own thing. And God's like, no. And, and God's like, I, I want you to be with me. And you're, you're feeling something inside you. And, and, I, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God, because the Word of God, the Holy Spirit draws He brings us to want to be with God the Father, our Creator, because of faith in Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to Him, so we have a relationship with Him. Maybe that's you, and now you're, you know what, I I do believe that Jesus is God. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever asked Him to forgive you of your sins? After you've admitted it and say that I am a sinner, I violate your standard, and the truth is that your law stands forever, and that what you say is reality is reality, and when I go against that truth and your law, the standard, it's harmful on many levels, and my life is evidence of that right now. Do you know that Jesus can forgive you, and it will change your destiny? When you confess Him as Lord and Savior, to come into your life and say, Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe in you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I and I and maybe, but maybe you're here this morning, and and you've been very tolerant with sin. You tolerate it. You're okay with it because it's it's not over the edge. And there there are some great books written about this. That there are there are these sins that we tolerate. There are books that have been written about that, and and they're they're pretty direct. Because God doesn't doesn't tolerate that. But we've accepted certain things to be okay. God says, no. No. Are you there? Are you like just... And you can't give it up or you don't want to turn away or you're... Don't wait because, man, you don't want to miss out on the abundant life that God has to offer you. Just, uh, Just confess. Confess that you might be healed. Man, James says that. Confess your sins to one another. Confess it to God first. Start there. Tell Him. Make it right. Bow on your knees and, 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 and confess it, but then repent. Change your ways. Because tolerance for sin is not acceptable to God. I don't know. I don't know what else to say except Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we're going to close in prayer. But if you need to process that and if you need to spend some time with God working that out, the altars are going to be open. And you're on up here. If you need to leave, leave quietly and do your thing out those doors. But respect those who are doing business with God. Whether in their seat or whether up front. Because we don't play around with this. We can't. It's not worth it. It doesn't glorify God. We have to remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I just want to give you a heads up. We're talking here about soteriology, of and we're talking about our condition, and we're talking about and how, and what Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and our nature compared to his nature. But I want to give you a heads up that in a couple of weeks, in the next sermon, I want to talk about something very practical regarding about the sameness of Jesus Christ, and he's yes, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to give you a It's going to be a challenge. And maybe it won't be that easy, but I'm gonna give you a heads up, and we're gonna go places that we have to go. All right, so I just want to encourage you to seek God and listen. It's time to just stop playing games, man, and and let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and let us be soft. Stop, stop being so hard. God can soften you, but you, you gotta you gotta raise your hands up. Just okay. Amen. I'm going to pray. Hold on to these truths. Lord, we thank you for this word. I simply ask you, Holy Spirit, to take the truth, your word, to take the truth that Jesus, that God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do in our minds and in our hearts what no man can do. Transform us and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may glorify your name in all that we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.